Marlo, are you there? Hi, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Good. You can mute. Terry, are you there? Oh, yeah. Speak up a little louder. I'm here. Okay, great. You can mute. Mm -hmm.
Jim, testing. Can you clear? Can you hear me? I'm here. Good. I'll let you mute yourself. Coach Anderson, can you hear me? Testing. Yes. All right, great. We're ready to go in a second. Welcome to another evening of Cliff Burt and Friends, representing the best in women's athletics and HBCU sports. Uh, tonight, I'm going to start out by introducing our co-host. I'm going to let him say hi to you. Dr. Marla Kemp, say hi to everybody. Good evening, everyone. Hope everyone is great. All righty. I'm also going to ask uh, a former guest tomorrow and she's going to help us some night some tonight in co-hosting that is none other than soon to be dr terry 
Williams. Say hello, Terry. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. It's good to hear you. We have a special guest, of course, uh, Coach Brittany Anderson. We're going to introduce her a little later on, and she'll come on and talk to us. And then my co-host, Jim Waddell, also will be joining us very, very soon. So let's get started. Our Women of the Month, this is the last time we have to talk about her. None other than Flora Jean Hyman, known as Flo Hyman, one of the greatest volleyball players ever, born July 31st, 1954, and she died January 21st, 1986. Her achievements, AIW National Player of the Year, 1976, first winner of the Honda Sports Award, three-time All-American, World Cup competition, best hitter, World Cup competition, 1981, bronze medal, 1982 World Championships in Peru, Silver Medal, 1984 Summer Olympics, Sports Illustrated, November 29, 1999, Greatest Women Athletes of the Century. Simon also has a memorial award that's named in her honor. She is known simply as the greatest volleyball player to ever live. And I want everybody to give a word or two about that. Flo Hyman. James, I'll start with you. Tell us final word about our woman of love, Flo Hyman, the great volleyball player. I just I remember uh, Flo Hyman as being one of the greatest um, players, volleyball players, um, and she didn't let the one thing that I really admire about her. She didn't let her size, um, you know, compromise her ability to become one of the greatest volleyball players of our, you know, of all times. Um, she just kept pressing forward with her um, greatness and definitely left us a lot um, to be desired by her. Um, I really appreciate what she has, you know, actually done for the sport um, itself. And she helped um, to actually, um, you know, move women forward, um, not only in the sport, but just in general. She took her um, her skills over to Japan, of course, where she played professionally, and she was um, also appreciated um, there in their country as well as ours. So she was definitely one of the greats. Terry? As a former volleyball player, I honestly can't say that I had ever heard of her, but um, this month, I've been introduced to her prowess on the volleyball court, and I'm just so, number one, proud, but um, really at a loss of words for the mm -hmm. history that I was unaware of. Now, I wasn't um, 
as good at volleyball <laughs> as I was in other sports. So they may contribute to it, but it just highlights the need for um, there to be more exposure of the greats from our past in all of these different sports categories. So happy Absolutely. to happy to know of her now. All righty. We'll try Jim again. Flo Hyman comments. Jim. Okay. We'll catch up with that. Next week, we have a special guest coming. Her name is Kimberly Meadows Clark. She's the president of a new league, HBCU Professional Basketball League. It'll start out with players from HBCU colleges. They will have a draft coming up, beginning in March. This is a very, very intelligent lady. She owns professional basketball teams, and she's going to be our special guest next week on Cliff Burt and Friends. So you want to come back, and you want to make sure you see it. Now, next month, our Woman of the Month, none other than track legend, Miss Wilma Rudolph, two-time Olympic champion, 1956, 1960. She is from Tennessee State, a Tiger Bell. She ran for legendary coach Ed Temple, the late coach Ed Temple. Okay, yesterday at the C, or this weekend, at the CIAA tournament, basketball tournament, the John B. McClendon Hall of Fame class inductees happened this past Friday. This is the largest or the third largest conference basketball tournament in America, division one, two, or three. In Baltimore, for the first time, the inductee class were all women. And I just think it's a tremendous um, admonition for what the women have meant in the CIAA and to athletics. Let me mention the candidates. Alyssa Hardy Dobbins from Bowie State. She's a women's basketball player. She went in as a student athlete. Jessica Hawkins, Shaw University, women's basketball. She went in as a student athlete. Elaine Hill, Fayetteville State University, volleyball and tennis coach. And then we have Barbara Pierce, St. Augustine's University, track and field and cross country. She went in as a student. And last but not least, we had the women's basketball team from Hampton University, 1987 to 1988. They all went in the Hall of Fame this weekend at the CIAA. Marlo, give us your thoughts. And I also want our other listeners to put their thoughts in the chat room. Dr. Kim. And this is just, they went into the Hall of Fame, you said? The yeah, at the CIAA. They have an inductee ceremony every year at the basketball conference tournament. John McClendon, legendary coach, inductee Hall of Fame uh, bank, and they went in this Friday. First time ever, five women. Oh, nice. That's I, that's awesome. I'm, I'm just, as a woman, at a former athlete, I mean, it just does me 
you know, proud um, just to um, see this accomplishment, um, especially for all women being inducted um, to the um, CIAA um, Hall. Um, so I think it's, it's wonderful and it just goes to show that, um, you know, that our accomplishments and um, are, are not being uh, overlooked at all. Not at all. Terry. Yeah, so <laughs> again, it just goes back to just, you know, being enamored with a platform that highlights all of these wonderful athletes um, from in the past. And kudos, I actually didn't know that, you know, Miss Rudolph is going to be here. So I'm going to be front and center. I'm so happy to. Oh, yeah. She's that woman. Uh, let's see. James, can you get through? Can you type in the chat if you can? Okay. So we'll continue on. But again, the CIAA doing big things. Now, March Man has started this past weekend. The Gulf Coast Athletic Conference and the CIAA both had their conference tournaments. Let's start with the women's division of the CI, no, of the GCAC, NAIA school. The tournament and the women's division came down to Russ College and Philander Smith. Philander Smith went in the number three seed and Russ the number one. It came down for last second shot of Russ College, the defending champion, and they won 51 to 50. So congratulations to Russ, and they've earned an automatic berth in the NAI tournament. Starts next week, March 9th. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Philand uh, Russ College is in, but Philander Smith finishes 23 and 6 overall, number two in the tournament. And Fisk University finished overall 19 and 8, and they also are 11 3. It's a good chance that one of them would also get an bid for the NAI. A tournament. So we are definitely pulling for these teams on a job well, well done. Let's go to the CIAA tournament. And let me say this for the men's division, Jim will be reporting in the next 15 minutes. So let's go to the women. CIAA tournament for the first time in history, the Elizabeth City State University Vikings, the women have won their first title in the history of the school, and they've received an automatic berth to Division II National Tournament. Now, it's interesting. Last year, this Elizabeth City team lost to Lincoln in the finals. They vowed to get back, and they got back and got it done. In addition, they went in the number five seed in the tournament, and they beat Shaw, the Shaw Bayer, who were the number six seed and made it to the finals. Shaw Bears in the history have 11 CIAA titles since 2000. So they have a history, and Elizabeth City knocked off that history and made 
history of their own. So congratulations, Elizabeth City State University Vikings going to the Division II NCAA playoff. Congratulations. The other Division II conference, the SIAC, got started this past Saturday over on the campus of Savannah State. And they'll end their tournament this coming Saturday. And we will have those results for you next week to see our second team that'll be going for the Division II National Playoff. Now, let's move on. And of course, the MEAC and the SWAC, our two Division I HBCU conferences, haven't started their play yet. So there you have it. And now let's move on to Division I basketball. And this year, we have the most parity in the Division I basketball that we've seen in a long time. One undefeated, South Carolina, number one. But number two, Indiana, number three, Utah, number four, LSU, five, Maryland, six, Stanford, seven, Iowa, eight, Virginia Tech, nine, UConn, and 10, Notre Dame. All of these teams have 24 or more wins. We talked about it a few weeks back that this is the most parity I've seen in women's division one in a long, long time. Just a few weeks ago, or about a week ago, Ole Miss, took South Carolina down to the wire. So it's a wide open race. And we just can't wait to see what's going to happen in Division One March Madness in just a few weeks. And it really doesn't matter whether you go in number one or number two seed. This thing this year is wide open. Now, last but not least, before we take a break, this past week, the MEAC, conference finished their indoor season and the uh, ladies of Howard University uh, were fortunate enough to win that title. So congratulations to them and we'll let you know about the men. Jim will come back and he'll talk about that as well. But congratulations Howard University Lady Bison's indoor track champions. We'll take a break and then we'll be right back.
All righty. Jim? Yes. All righty. So you got it. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. All right. The HBCU players drafted by the USFL, they held their draft last week. Isaiah Bolden from Jackson State, a wide uh, receiver, was drafted number 11 by Memphis. Isaiah Land, an edge player from FAMU, was drafted by Pittsburgh. Keenan Isaac, a cornerback, was drafted out of uh, Alabama State, was drafted by Houston. Darius Hagens, a running back from Virginia State University, was drafted by New Orleans. Andrew Farmer from Lane, off, uh, outside linebacker, was drafted by Michigan Panthers. Mark Evans, a D, uh, O-lineman from University of Arkansas Pine Bluff, was drafted by Birmingham. Dre Terry, a linebacker out of Alabama A&M, was drafted by Philadelphia. And New Jersey Generals drafted five players, which would be J.J. Holloman, wide receiver from Tennessee State, Derek Tulks, uh safety from Texas Southern, Jermaine McDaniel, a defensive end from North Carolina A&T, Jalen Warren, a cornerback out of Jackson State, and Ray Easley, a DB from Grambling. Now on to the uh, women's the men's conference what? finals. I'm sorry. Question? They had a barn burn in the CAC. Tougaloo Defeated Philander Smith, 62-61. Two led 61-59 with one minute and 20 seconds left. Two dribbled the ball down to the 24-second mark, but missed the shot. Panthers called a timeout and with 16.1 seconds left. And then Raymond Reese scored with 0.5 seconds left on the putback to tie the game with 0.5 seconds left. Andre Blunt was fouled before any time ran off the clock. He missed the first free throw, made the second to give Tugu a 62-61 point lead. And a half-court shot was just missed to end the game by Philander Smith. D-I-A-A. Winston-Salem won 62-57 <laughs> over Lincoln. Uh, Winston-Salem beat the number one seed in the tournament, Virginia Union, 45-44 the day before. The Rams in the championship game versus Lincoln had 14 points from Samaj Teal and 11 each from Jalen Gibbs and John Hicklin. As Cliff stated before, the uh, SIAA will not be until finals will be March 2nd.
Now, we talked last week briefly about the Darius Miles situation and Brandon Miller out of Alabama, where a young lady, uh, Janaea Harris, was murdered on January 15th. The latest on that is Brandon Miller transported the gun but never handled it. Darius Miles got the gun out of the car, handed it to Michael Davis, who allegedly killed Jamia Harry. Because Miller has been cooperative with authorities, he has continued to play all this time while Davis and Miles are not. The Harris family is upset that Miller is still playing. Are there any comments on the uh, the miles the uh, situation with the players in Alabama? Jim, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Not only at Alabama, but Miller is a projected lottery pick, so there's a lot of pressure. Um, it'll be interesting, and I'll leave it there. Jim, I do have a question in the chat. Uh, for the draft, for the USFL. It says, when does the season or the draft start? I believe that USFL season traditionally starts around April or May Mm -hmm. with the finals coming in late July, early August. Anything else on the uh, professional football level right now or on uh, anything else on that? Because if not, we're going to go to a break. Go ahead. Okay, I was going to say the uh, HBUs had something called the Legacy Bowl on Saturday where they had 47 of the top players in HBCU football play a game. Yeah. It was one ten three by uh, team. I forget the guy's name, but yeah, it was a very defensive oriented game. There were a lot of sacks and hits. Mm-hmm. wasn't a lot of scoring, and I think some of the players shone well in that. They also had a. Uh, I don't want to say. They had a combine. Starting last week, and uh, a running back from uh, FAMU, I believe, ran a four three eight. Wow! All the representatives from all thirty two teams were there to Great. scout and evaluate. So, hopefully, with that, we'll have more players drafted than we had last year, where I think there were three. Wonderful. Before we go to break, and I want to acknowledge. Go ahead, Jim. I was just going to say in the NBA, the West is still up for grabs. They had a game where they had the second highest scoring game ever with the Kings. It was 176 to 175. And, you know, last time I checked in the West, 
the 12th team is only six games away from the uh, third place team in the West. The East, your top six basically will probably remain unchanged with the Celtics, Bucks, 76ers, Cavs, Nets, and Knicks rounding out the top six. Okay. All righty. Any questions, comments about the NBA? Marlo, Terry? Uh, no questions at this time. Looking forward okay. to seeing how everybody is uh, moving towards the, uh, you know, the end of the season. See where we're going to be. All right. Well, before we go to a break, I want to um, say hello to our guest, uh, Derek uh, Lavinia Bender. Lewis is there. Jeff Butts is there. And again, if you have any questions or comments, let's type in the chat. We'll take a one minute break and then we're coming back. With Coach Brittany Back with Cliff Burt and Friends, featuring the very best in women's athletics and HBCU sports. Coach Anderson, she served as an assistant coach for the Stanford Cardinals for the past two seasons. They've been the two straight trips to the Final Four and the first national championship since 1992. Coach Anderson, also a former college player for the Virginia Tech Hokies. She went to three NCAA tournaments during her time there and also the WNIT tournament. She averaged 10 points in a senior year. She's been nothing but a leader her whole life. She's coached at the high school level. The AAU ranks collegiately at Rafford and back at her alma mater, Virginia Tech. She's also now, since so she's been at Stanford, the late, the beginning of the season, the Lady Cardinals were 63 and 6 under her guidance and she also coaches the guards and of course she's been producing nothing but the best under her guidance she's produced Haley Jones and Kiana Williams Williams All-Americans Anna Wilson also 2021 Pac-12 co-defensive player of the year and Lexi Hall the number six pick in the 2022 WNBA draft Let's welcome to the show, Coach Brittany Anderson. How you doing, Coach? 
I am doing well. Thanks for having me, and thanks for the introduction. So, Coach, we, it's, the honor is on us. Um, let's just get started. Uh, how does a young lady starting in Richmond, Virginia, I want you to take us from high school, Virginia Tech, and just take us through that phase of your college career. Tell us how it all got started. Well, if I start with high school, I think I'll miss out kind of on a key part of growing okay. up. I grew up military. My dad was in the army for 22 years, so we moved a lot. So I moved from DeSoto, Texas to Richmond, Virginia, right before I started my freshman year of high school. Um, and that kind of pushed me to grow faster and quicker than I probably wanted to in those moments when you start high school in a different state. Um, it's hard. It's hard alone just starting high school period. Um, so we moved to Richmond right before my freshman year of high school. Um, I attended two high schools. I attended Meadowbrook High School in Richmond. And then my senior year, I went to Blacksburg High School. Um, my mom had, after my junior year, finished her PhD in anatomy and she took a job at VCOM, which was um, a new school that Virginia Tech had opened. Um, so I was, I was kind of pushed to go to a different school for high school. Um, so change has been a part of life. Um, change is easy for me to get accustomed to. I think that's why it, why it made it easy for me to move from Virginia to California in the middle of a pandemic um, and take this job here. Um, but basketball um, was, I don't want to say I had a love, I have a love for the game. I had a love when I was younger that I really didn't realize, I think until I got older and I missed it and graduated from college um, and then got back into um, the basketball of it all and got into coaching. Um, but basketball would take you a lot of, a lot of places. It's taken me a lot of places. It's taken me across the country. Um, and I've been here, been blessed to be here at Stanford for three years as an assistant. Um, I, th I thought I honestly, after I did two years at Radford and I got the chance to go back to my alma mater, I felt like I had arrived because not a lot of people get to coach at the place where they played. Um, and to be honest, that was kind of enough for me and God saw it that I need to do something else. And I came to Stanford from Virginia Tech. Um, so I've been very, very blessed along the journey. Um, and there's been like stops along the way that have have helped me grow, helped me help young women um, see how much basketball can help in their life as, as much as it's helped me in mine. Yeah. Coach, let's go down to how you left Virginia Tech. You didn't jump right into basketball, correct? You went no. into the corporate world, am I right? Yes, correct. So, so tell us how that part of those skills also has helped you in the coaching world. Um, I think I think a lot of time people or players know when I'm done playing, I want to be a coach. Um, when I, I said when I'm done playing, I don't want to be a coach. I didn't see myself as a coach, but I also knew how my teammates were. I knew what my coaches had to deal with, um, with my teammates and kind of the troubles that they brought along with like helping them grow up. So I was like, I don't want to be a coach. I don't want anything to do with basketball. Um, I think when you are an athlete um, and you play at a high level, um, you don't realize how much of the real world does not revolve around your sport. I think sometimes as athletes, we're like, okay, there's basketball and that's it. Um, it forces you to grow up and find yourself in a way that you can't really 
tell somebody what happened, they kind of have to go through it on their own. You kind of learn through the fire. So going into corporate America for six years, I worked for an engineering firm and um, I kind of had to try to find my way. It wasn't like me being to manually like outrun somebody um, or shut somebody down or score more than them. There are skills that come with that, with being an athlete, but I had to be able to articulate different things in different settings um, and be able to prove that I could do a job. So I think um, being in the corporate world helps you realize that, yeah, you were an athlete. And I mean, athletes are spoiled. Um, I, they, athletes don't like to admit that. I'll be the first to say it. You're spoiled as an athlete. There's things that opportunities you get that maybe other people don't get because you're an athlete. Um, and people kind of feel for you in the lifestyle that you have. So, um, I, I was kind of thrown out there. I was like, I'm gonna go get a job. And nobody knew they didn't care where I played. They cared that I had a college degree. Um, they didn't care, um, about the long travel or this different thing. Athletes kind of their lifestyle, um, it's kind of taken away from them. You kind of have to, you fall back on the habits you had as an athlete, but you, you kind of have to figure out and find your way. So just simple things as far as, you know, how you introduce yourself to people, um, staying connected to people, writing handwritten notes, which I still do to this day. Just those little things or skills are kind of like ingrained in you from working in corporate America that you just kind of carry on with you. I always say, um, to athletes whenever they're graduating or when players like, what can I do next? I'm like, you need to go get a real job because this isn't the real world. Mm -hmm. um, so helping them understand that, but it just helps you see that basketball is just a little piece of the world we live in. It's not everything. Yeah. Coach, I'm going to ask you one more question and, and then come to Dr. Kemp next. I want to ask you this. I heard you say on a previous interview, and I, I love it, Young folks have to be careful, careful how you carry yourself because uh -huh. someone has to vouch for you someday when you leave this campus, corporation, etc. And how do you drill that into the 18-year-old players when they come to you? Because that is an important concept. Um, I, I talk to um, our players a lot about kind of where do you see yourself after this because the ball's going to stop bouncing someday. And there are little times when I can maybe help them learn a lesson. I think they think that, you know, um, first impressions are everything. And I think sometimes 18, 19, 20 years old, students think, okay, I know everybody, everybody knows me and that's all I need, but helping them understand somebody's meeting you for the first time. Somebody's watching you play for the first time. Um, somebody's going to walk by you for the first time. You don't know everybody and you don't know everything. I think it's hard, especially with social media to get young adults to understand that. Um, and the other thing is they think that they're grown when they move out of their parents' house, but somebody's paying the car insurance, somebody's paying your phone bill, helping them understand like those, those little things um, that are blessings but that they're not going to be there all the time. But I think a lot of times they they don't understand who they're coming in contact with. So mm -hmm. I try to prep them in like different situations and talk to them about just, just different things. But I, I use the court, for example, like if you go out here and you do and you act out of character on the court, that's what somebody's going to remember you by. You're always going to be that person that did that on the court and you don't want people to remember you in that way. Sure. Dr. Kemp or Terry? Let's open up the mic. I want to hear from you. Question for Coach Anderson. Not a question, but Hi, Coach Anderson. Welcome to the show. Um, this is Dr. Marlowe. I um, just had a question, or could you just share with us, how did you get your job um, at Stanford? 
And having your job there, would you say that you have a good work-life balance? Um, I got my job here at Stanford through my mentor, Bobby Kelsey, who played here for TAR and coached here for TAR, and she coached me at Virginia Tech. Um, she introduced me to the associate head coach here probably like seven or eight years ago, um, and we had stayed in contact. Um, I refer to it as planting seeds. I tell our players all the time, you have to plant seeds and you have to water seeds in order for them to grow. You can't just plant them and then come back and expect something to happen from them. So just fostering relationships and staying in contact through the associate head coach here. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know when I met her seven, eight years ago that it would turn into this of me working here. Um, but Bobby Kelsey, when people are like, they always say to me, how did you get that job? I always say Bobby Kelsey because she was my mentor. She's the one that told me I should think about coaching. And I first told her, I was like, I'm not doing um, I can't see myself doing that. Um, and she's kind of the person that kind of pushed me. Um, she's somebody I called to this day, um, but she played here and coached for Tara. Um, so when Tara called her and was like, look, I need somebody, um, she gave her my name. So she was able to vouch for me. Um, Work-life balance does not exist. <laughs> um, I, I say when you, when I, I love what I do. Um, it's something that I, um, a part, it's a part of every day. Now I do take breaks or are days where I'm like, I'm not looking at film. I think it, there's more pressure and more go, 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 go during the season. Um, and then during the summer, it's kind of a little bit more relaxed. Um, but I make it a point to have like my self-care days or self-care time where I might go get a massage or different things. Um, but during the season, there's really no work-life balance. I think you just have a break from, about April until um, September timeframe. Okay, thank you. I also want to ask, thank you, Dr. Kemp, um, and thank PhD candidate, our co-host, Terry Williams, for helping us bring um, Coach Anderson to the show. We're in good hands. We have two yeah. former Hokie basketball players on the line. So, Coach, or Terry Williams, I'm going to give you the next question. Hokey to Hokey. <laughs> I really just wanted to take a step back and highlight one of the comments that Brittany uh, mentioned, and it was the life of the athlete is quite spoiled. And I don't know if you have a question, but I just wanted to highlight this a little bit because your day is so structured. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's quite preventative of learning life skills that are necessary and time management of your own, like internal time management, not that you have to be somewhere because if you're not, then, you know, you're not going to get your per diem or if you, you know, don't show up somewhere, you're not going to get the playing time that you think you deserve. It's bigger than that, right? So I yes. talk to Brittany, um, because did you play overseas, Brittany? I did not. I was, when college was done, I was done. I was like, that's it. <laughs> but it, it's, it opens up a conversation about um, what I would like to say is just the delay of, of career progression. And to be completely honest, I did have the opportunity to play when I was overseas, but it was very disenchanting for me. And at one point, I really just looked around and I was like, I'm literally floating in life. I'm not really getting anywhere. And at, that was the moment that I retired. How are you going to 
impressed upon the the lady athletes who oh my gosh thank the lord they have so many more options to go play professionally in different places but how would you help them understand the bigger picture while they're still in this very tightly controlled and in in some ways micromanaged um, environment which is collegiate sports um i i think a lot of it more so now than it has been um, previous than probably about like five or six years ago. Um, the, they have opportunities in the summer for internships. Um, and a lot of times they don't, a lot of times people are like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. Or I just want to take a break. Um, and helping them understand that, yeah, they might be taking a basketball break, um, but now it's kind of the time to get ahead or try to figure out kind of what you want to do. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is um, talking to them about basketball. The basketball is going to stop bouncing. Do you want to have somewhat control over when it stops bouncing, or do you want basketball to say, "I'm done, it's enough," and kind of leave you with your hands out? Like, what can I do next? Um, so helping them like understand that they're going to have to step into another phase of their life. So in the summertime, like figure out what you like to do, figure out what you don't like to do. And I think a lot of times with young people now. When they don't like something, it's like it's the end of the world. They don't see it as, okay, I don't like that, but I might try this. They don't see it as like a what's next thing. They just see it as the end of the world. Um, so helping them understand that it, it, basketball is not forever. Um, and I share a lot of articles with them um, about just career transitions after playing, um, just so they can see it from like, there's not a one path of how you approach the next phase of your life. There's different things you can do to get there. Coach, I'm gonna come to Jim for the next question, but I just want to give our audience uh, a real picture of all or not clear who Tara Vanderbeer is. Okay, uh, in her career at Stanford, Coach Vanderbeer record is 1,032 wins and 2,012 losses in her overall career is 1,184 wins and 263 losses or 81 percentage winning of, of winning. She's in a class over the last 30 years that really about four women's coach sit. Pat Summit, the late Pat Summit, um, Gino Ariemo, Vivian Stringer and Tara Vanderbeer. That's what I can think of in the women's division that have gone over a thousand wins. So, Coach Anderson, here's this lovely young African American coach at Virginia Tech who gets the call from Stanford. I mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> what's going through mm -hmm. your mind back then? This is not another program to move up a little bit. Yeah. Huh? Um, I, at first, everything had, when she called me, everything had slowed down. It's like the world had stopped because of mm -hmm. um, COVID. So when she first called me, I talked to her on the phone, I got off the phone, and then I was like, did I really just talk to Tara? Um, mm -hmm. And it was very, uh, she's very personable. Um, she is funny. I think a lot of people, like she's a jokester. She, she's a pretty funny person. 
Um, but it was just almost kind of like I had to pinch myself, like, am I really talking to her on the phone? Um, then we talked for several weeks um, during the pandemic and she kind of did research on me. I did research on her. I talked to her former, some of her former players, some of her former coaches. Um, but just, just talking to her just kind of was just like, I think sometimes you have to really kind of hype yourself up to like, okay, I'm ready for this moment. And then you start questioning, am I ready for this moment? Is this something that I really want to do? Um, but just trusting yourself and your gut and just talking to her that this is kind of what what my next step is and going with it. I can't, I'm not going to lie and say I was, I wasn't nervous, ready. Um, but I mean, she just, in, in, from the conversation, she instilled in me that I was going to be okay and that she would help me along the way. And I think that's what helped me make the jump. All right, James. Yes. Uh, thank you for coming in, Brittany. I have one question about the travel in the PAC 12 since it's so spread out. I think a distance from maybe Washington to Arizona might be 1,500 miles, and then going out to Colorado and Utah, another 1,000 miles. Do you guys travel by plane? We do. We charter. Um, the travel was something I had to get used to. I'll be honest with you, coming from the ACC, where everything's like a three-hour drive or hour-and-a-half flight. Um, and then we do – we have travel partners, and we travel – um, we'll leave on Thursdays and play Friday, Sunday. So you'll go play Utah and Colorado and come back, or they'll come play you and then go home. So it's kind of like a long weekend. Um, but we do charter. Okay. Coach, okay and you yes. guys are rumored to be one of the schools in line for the big 10. Do you think that would affect travel having a cross country trip? With absolutely college <laughs> absolutely i'm i'm like i go back and forth about it it sounds good until it doesn't um the time changes a lot um i don't know if it will happen everybody keeps telling us it's gonna happen i'm just like that that's just a lot of flying <laughs> uh coach let me ask you a few questions the changes in college basketball's uh, rules since you played and Terry played, how has the NIL and the transfer portal, and I'm going to ask you two ways, affected Stanford, but then how do you see affects the overall landscape? Most players probably want to come to a Stanford, but overall, let's talk NIL. What do you think? I love it. Um, there's a lot of coaches that do not, um, I am all for the student athletes being able to make money off their name, image, and likeness. Um, we have some young ladies on our team, um, that are benefiting from it. Um, I think it's good. They left it up to the student athletes. Some student athletes want to do it. Some don't want to be in it like that. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and it's changed the landscape just from the standpoint of, like some of these young ladies are changing their families' lives. Um, I didn't. I grew up knowing that if I wanted to go to college, basketball was my way to college, and that's how I was going to go to college. And I need to get a scholarship to go because I was the oldest of three, and my parents didn't have money to pay for us to go to college. We didn't have a college fund. Um, so I'm all for it because there are young ladies out here that are making probably a million dollars off their name, image, and likeness, but they're also able to invest that in different ways. Um, that I think is going to help them as they move forward. 
Um, so I'm I'm all for it. I think it's changed the landscape just from like student athletes. These young women are making decisions based off of um, NIL and collectives, which I think is a really good thing. Um, there's some coaches that are against it. So I'm for it. I, I haven't found anything wrong with it yet. Transfer portal, second part. Um, the transfer portal, I am... I was a person that called home and called, told my parents, hey, this is hard. She's she's so mean. She's hard on me. And my mom said, call me when you have a real like life or death issue. Don't call me complain unless you have a real life or death issue. I think there's some situations where student athletes have made a decision and they realize they didn't make the right decision. Um, I think there are situations where student athletes probably things aren't going their way. And, you know, sometimes you got to be able to figure it out, figure out how things are going to go your way. Um, but I'm not against it because there are a lot of student athletes that make decisions because this is what their parent wanted them to do or what their AU coach wanted them to do. And they're not the ones that are going to be there doing the schoolwork or running sprints or working out, making it through practice. And they get there and they realize I came here because you told me to come here, not because it's where I wanted to go. Um, so there's different reasons why people put their name in the transfer portal, but I think that these student athletes are realizing the grass is greener where you water it. And sometimes it's not hmm. all somebody else's fault. Sometimes there are things that you have to do to be a part of a team that some people aren't willing to do. So there's people have really good legitimate reasons and you can't really, there's nothing you can really like, everybody has a reason. Um, and I don't want to sound like I'm judging everybody off of their reason, but there are times when sometimes they make, they make the wrong decision, but it's not really their decision. There's a lot of pressure on these kids to make a decision to go certain places because it benefits an adult. And I think that that's wrong. So some, some players put their name in the portal for that reason. Wow. Coach, I have a question or a statement about Stanford mm -hmm. and I've always admired this the graduation success rate for the student athletes, not just basketball. Let's hear this. In 2000, this is the latest study, 19 that I got, that 96% of Stanford athletes uh, graduated from most of their programs, but for 20 of their programs, you had 100% graduation rate. At 11 women's programs, had 100%, including basketball, and nine of the men's programs had 100% graduation rate. I guess these are the worst programs that had 90% softball, diving, wrestling, lacrosse, and football. And this has been going on at Stanford a long time. Let me take it further. Stanford also, in 2018 and 19, captured its 25th consecutive Learfield Sports Director Cup. It's presented to the most successful intercollegiate athletic department in the country. Stanford has 36 varsity sports and has won at least one NCAA title in each of the past 43 academic years, the longest streak in the NCAA in history. Now, how do you keep up that kind of excellence academically and athletic, athletically in that many sports. What are you guys doing at Stanford? I think it is the um, the excellence um, of the university academically, but also the student athletes 
kind of push each other indirectly, unbeknownst to them. I think they set the bar high um, and they are all around each other for a common goal. Um, and they all have big dreams and big goals that they want to fulfill. Um, and it's just amongst all of them. Um, and it's kind of like how they live. It's, it's their everyday. It's just from day to day. This is kind of just what we do. Um, and I learned that very quickly. My first year here, um, Simone Manuel was still training here um, at the pool, um, at the outdoor pool in the athletic zone. And just kind of seeing like how she went about her day of just the training, um, but how she was just amongst the student athletes here. Um, and they kind of pick their brains about different things and they can talk about pretty much any topic. Um, so they quickly realize once they step on campus, you're more than an athlete here. It's yes, you can achieve these things on the court or on the field, but also what are you doing in the classroom? And I think it's just the culture that is here. Um, and they, they catch on quick. <laughs> they just catch yeah. on quick and keep going. I, I, I'm get, we applaud that. We applaud that. Go Stanford. Go Stanford. Basketball question as we're coming down the stretch, and then mm -hmm. I'll go to each of our co-hosts. March Madness. Now, I've been praying all day, Coach. <laughs> well, I talked about this or not. You guys had a little tough one the other night against Utah. But yeah. there is so much <laughs> parity this year between one and even 16 in the country. You know, um, I used to call it the UConn, Stanford, University of Tennessee, and uh I'll be polite. I'll put Virginia Tech Invitational. Not anymore. What do you think is causing this parity from this many teams in the women's division D1 college basketball? Um, I think it has a lot to do with the head coaches that are leading these programs. Um, you have a lot of head coaches who have came up through the ranks yeah. um, or they've gotten their opportunity um, at – some of these programs and these young women are making decisions to go do what's best for them and not do what everybody else is doing. Um, so I think that that has a lot to do with it. Um, I think I, you saw it a lot on the men's side where, yeah, I might be number two in the country, but I'm not going to go to Duke. I'm going to go to St. John's or I'm going to go to Villanova. So you had, you had the guys doing something different. I think the women are doing that as well. Um, and they're doing it. They want to play for, different coaches. I think social media has allowed student athletes to see co head coaches in a different light um, to kind of understand them better and see them from a different point of view or perspective. Um, but I mean, I'll just speak on like just yesterday, Neil Ivy wins the ACC. She's the first black um, female head coach to win a regular season conference championship um, where she's kind of created her own path. But I think she just might speak or um, have a different relationship or connection with student athletes in a different way. So I think social media has helped that a lot. Um, but these kids nowadays are not a sit and wait your turn type kids anymore. Um, they're like, okay, I can go here and play right now and try to make a change or make a difference. And they're willing to go do that. And they'll bet on themselves. So I take, I honestly take my hat off to the fact that they're willing to do not what everybody else is doing. This is what I want to do. And as these young ladies get confidence, they're doing what they want to do, how they want to do it. And it's not a bad thing. Coach, one more comment, and then we'll go to our co-hosts before we got to get out of here. And I know you probably going to look at game film or something. Yes, <laughs> I know it's March Madness time. But, Coach, I do want to applaud uh, last year in the NCAA tournament, 
I believe it was a record in the women's tournament. The first time is it 12 African-American female head coaches. Okay. And so things are moving in the right direction at D1. And I love it because I know one day we'll be saying head coach, Brittany Anderson, somewhere. <laughs> All right. We'll say it. One day. You, one day. you don't have to say it, but we'll say it for you. I'm going to go to him and then your hokey, Terry Williams, James, and then we'll close. Sure, Brittany, I just wanted to go back um, and just touch what Dr. Burt was saying. Um, I read where you have, um, and you can correct me if this is not um, right, you have um, a bachelor's degree and you graduated in apparel design and merchandise management? Yes, uh -huh. that's correct. I just, I just wanted to ask you, so do your um, athletes know this? And if so, do they take advantage of this when they are out there doing their own um, name, imaging, and likeness? Um, they, I think they discovered that two years ago here. Um, they started asking me all these questions. I'm a tight, like, I like fashion. We, ever since the pandemic, we haven't dressed up. It's killing me that we don't dress up. Um, so they have, and they see social media and stuff. So they ask questions all the time about like different things and kind of what my career goals in the fashion industry was. Um, but they, they always ask me like, what do you think about this? Or did you see this? Or did you see Rihanna's outfit at the Super Bowl? Or did you see like, so they always ask me different questions. We talk about makeup. We talk about all that stuff, but they, they think that they're putting me onto something, but I'm trying to explain to them that everything kind of cycles back. Like there's nothing new. Like we used to do that, or this used to be in. Um, so they're kind of, as they quote unquote, discover new things. I'm like, okay, but we've been doing that. So. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Terry, assume to be Dr. Williams, Terry Williams. <laughs> I think that's so funny that um, the girl's reaction to your interest in fashion is thus. I mean, it it's almost painful for the world to acknowledge that black women can be athletes and super fashionable. Well, just basically look good doing it. You know what I mean? Look at all the stir that the Venus and, well, the Williams sisters, Venus and Serena, when they first came onto the tennis scene and they started to change up their outfits and, you know, what a stir it was at Wimbledon. Did you ever, you know, consider yourself being, um, you know, fashion forward in that regard? There are some coaches, we won't say names, who are out there <laughs> stirring up the public with their outfits. And they look great. I'm not saying anything as a fashion lover. I can't say or knock anything. But why do you think it threatens people thus? Um, I think it's the confidence that goes along with what black women wear on the sideline. I think that that's the, that is the issue. They are, and I say they, I think the rest of the world is not willing to accept um, things for what they are, um, black women for what they are, how they present themselves. I think they just have issues with that. Um, but I think there's a piece of the rest of the world that wishes they could do it themselves, but they just can't do it. Um, so I think that that part of it um, is funny to me, 
um, just because we are not, um, we're going to do what we're going to do. If I'm going to change my hair, I'm going to change my hair. If I'm going to wear these shoes, I'm going to wear these shoes. But they don't, um, they don't have the confidence to do it. And it doesn't have to be quote unquote in, or they don't have to have see somebody else do it. Um, but I mean, I always look at, I'm on social media all the time to see what somebody wore to a game, how they wore it, what they wore. And honestly, it is, um, for me, it just puts a smile on my face because I think when people think of a coach, they think a coach is supposed to look like this, act like this. But let's just be honest, we didn't, I know I didn't relate or get along to, get along with every coach that was on the coaching staff. There's a coach I connected with. Um, and it's a connection um, that comes in with this as well. So um, I think it's it's here to stay. I think they've accepted it. I think as black women win um, as head coaches, then it's just kind of like, okay, well, what's next? They can't they can't do anything once you start winning. That is so true. Mm. Do you think that fashion wars might help to contribute to the increase in pay and the WNBA at some point? How long do you think it will take before we see some really? Um, I think. Um, I think once people realize that these young women are making more money off the court than they are on the court, I think that is what will get people's attention because I think what's getting ready to come, I think some of these young women are going to decide not to play in the WNBA. They'll play overseas for however much they're getting paid, which is like triple what they're getting in the WNBA. But then they're also doing other things just based off of their name, image, and likeness. Um, I think that's the issue, but also you're also seeing players stay in college to use their COVID year because they're going to make more NIL money than they would a WNBA wow. Wow. in the first couple of years. And I think that's the eye-opening part. They want these young women. There are a lot of young women who are coming back for a fifth year and some even a sixth year. And it's making the WNBA upset because they need them to come into the WNBA to help grow it, but they're making more money off of NIL. So I think as that starts to become more real to them over the next couple of years, I think we could see a, a big change. Okay. We have a few things in the chat box, and then we'll go to Jim. Uh, our sponsor, Pamela Renee, is individuality. Uh, and Jim, I'm going to let you comment. I know you want to be in the chat box, but give us a comment, and then we'll close it out. Okay. Coach, I enjoyed your interview. But my one last question to you is, what advice would you give any young lady who's starting out on her uh, journey playing basketball collegiately? Um, to be coachable and receptive. Um, I think when you go to college, some coaches are trying to undo everything you've learned up until 18 and you moved out the house. But there's some things basketball-wise and skills that can be developed. Um, and I think a lot of times coming in, being coachable, understanding that you don't know everything and there is a better way to do things or refine the skills that you have. Um, and then the other thing is you're going to be uncomfortable. And the sooner you accept that, the easier it is for you. I think the comfort, the uncomfortableness of it in your freshman year, when I used to call home and my mom said, call here when you have a real problem, you don't have problems right now, just call when you have a real problem. I think those things is like, okay, I'm going to be uncomfortable and I have to accept it. Love it. I love it. Thank well, you. Thank you so much. Coach, stand by for a second. We just have to do a little commercial work here. As we say every week, we want you, if you want more sports, Wednesday evening, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m., 9, 10 a.m., 
WFDF. Our sister, Mark Jones and Friends, Sports Talk. Jim is on there doing double duty. We also have Reggie, Jack. And we want to just say we'll be back here doing it all over again. Next week, 168 from now. Coach Brittany Anson, you have a home. You're always welcome to come back. And we will be following you. Go Cardinals. Thank you so much, Coach Brittany Anderson. Let's give her a hand, y'all, and a thank you in the chat. Coach, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.